everybody. Good to be with you this morning. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and we're going to jump right in this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Now, some of you may know that passage and are familiar with it. Maybe you could read it for yourself. Uh, Some of you are like, I'm not really sure what that passage is, so we're just going to jump in. I want to read this to remind you of some of the famous last words of Jesus. These are some of his final words to us and to those who were following him in the first century. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. The truth is there is no greater responsibility for us as followers of Jesus than to go and make new followers, new disciples. And after all, we are, right, the recipients, church, and beneficiaries of the life-changing news of Jesus Christ. So then, it makes sense that we would go and share that news with other people and invite them to experience the same life-changing experience that we have had with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That makes sense. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't actually give any sort of time frame or contingency to when this should happen. He doesn't say, okay, listen, when you've been following me for three years, then I want you to go and make disciples. Nor does he say, when you comprehend all there is to know about the Bible, then go and make disciples. And maybe most importantly, he doesn't say, if you are called pastor, then go and make disciples. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He makes no indication that there's a time frame or a contingency on when and who should be making disciples in the world. Which means this, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, which many of you in this room have, and you are following Jesus, whether you've been doing that for 50 years or 50 minutes, you have been given a new purpose in life. And that purpose is to go and make disciples, to go and teach people and lead people to follow Jesus in the same manner that you have chosen to follow Jesus. Now, ultimately, this is the vision of our church. Ultimately, this is or should be the vision of every church. And we say it a little differently here. We say that we want to be a community of changed lives, changing lives, which means that we are people who have come to this place, who have experienced the life-changing news of Jesus Christ, either here or somewhere else, and we come together and we are on a mission to be a group of people who learn to love Jesus and love each other and see other people's lives changed by the same news that Jesus has changed us with. We want to be people whose lives have been changed and are now given a new purpose and a new passion to see other people's lives changed in the same manner. You, Genesis Church, not just me, but you have been tasked with the responsibility to walk with others in becoming a follower of Jesus as well. Unfortunately, this concept of 
discipleship, this practice of discipleship or following Jesus has, I think, gotten a little lost in our 21st understanding of church. For the most part, we're really only concerned with our own discipleship. You know, like we really only think about ourselves, which is par for the course. We're sinful human beings. We're selfish, right? We want to be fed. We want to grow. And those are not bad things in and of themselves. But we really look for someone else to teach us and shape us and answer our questions and fulfill the mission of the church. And I'm telling you, there's a place for that. I'm not getting at that. But it's as if Jesus is saying in this passage, and he wraps everything up in his life, everything that he's done, everything that he said, the first words out of his mouth as he leaves this earth and ascends to heaven, he says, I want you to go and make disciples. And it's as if he's saying, if you want to become the very best version of yourself, if you want to live to the full potential of what it means for you to follow Jesus, then I want you to focus on leading other people to follow Jesus more closely. I don't want you to focus on your own discipleship. I actually want you to focus on others' discipleship. What if, church, what if we are missing an incredible opportunity to experience the life-changing effects of living out this great commission in the world? We have decided, I think, that it is only for our benefit that we grow and we are discipled and that we follow Jesus more closely and we know all the tenets of the Bible. But what if Jesus is saying, you're missing an opportunity. In fact, the way that you grow, even exponentially, is not by focusing on your discipleship, but by focusing on the discipleship of others. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Because he doesn't say, now I want you to sit and become a disciple. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples. And I know many of you are thinking, well, okay, that's fine, pastor, but how am I supposed to do that? Maybe I've never even thought to do that. Maybe I've never, I'm not really sure how to do that. And since it's not my responsibility, or Pastor Joe's responsibility, or Justin's responsibility, or just our leadership team's responsibility, how do we, right? It's not just one person's responsibility. He doesn't just, he doesn't say, you leader, go and make this up. He says this to everybody. How are we to live out that, that commission of Jesus in Matthew 28 collectively? Well, apart from Jesus, I'm convinced there's nobody that did it better than the apostle Paul, which is what we're going to turn our attention to today. So with that in mind, grab your phone, open up the YouVersion Bible app. If you have it, if you don't, you can download that. Uh, they just celebrated 15 years, believe it or not, uh, of this app. It's been downloaded more than a half a billion times, okay? Half a billion. That's not even like a real number, is it? I don't know. It's up there. But yeah, 15 years, really cool app. Download it. You can follow along with everything I'm going to say. Also, the group discussion questions are on there if you need those as well. Now, just a little backing up here. Last week, looked at, last week, we looked at this relational collision that happens between Paul and Barnabas and a guy named John Mark. And it is sort of a cautionary tale at the end of chapter 15 on how not to deal with conflict, right? We get instructions from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, and he says, this is when conflict arises because, by the way, it will. 
Here's how I want you to deal with it. And Paul and Barnabas, these leading giants in the church, don't do it very well. Uh, we had a men's group yesterday morning and we talked about it and it was a great discussion of how we often don't do this well. And yet somehow th- these great men of faith, they don't get it right. And that, that's, sort of con- that's sort of comforting, right? Like as if Paul doesn't get it all right, then certainly I'm not going to get it all right. But at the same time, we want to learn from that. And we see this, this great collision and it doesn't even resolve itself. And, and Paul and Silas, they go one direction and Barnabas and John Mark, they go the other direction and they, they set off on these missions. Now, Paul and Silas, they head back to where Paul had been months, maybe years prior. He basically goes on the same path that he went originally. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 16 as Paul and Silas begin this journey again. Luke writes, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. And Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, arranged for Timothy to be circumcised. He was part Jewish after all before they left, for everyone knew that his father was Greek. He just wanted to make sure, hey, look, we're going to be running into Jews and Greeks. We want to make sure that there's no, you know, issues. Let's make this act happen. Now, as I mentioned, Paul heads back to some of the same cities that he's been previously. And if you go back uh, into uh, chapter 15 and into chapter 14, you can read about all that happened in Paul and Barnabas' first journey through what is now modern-day Turkey. It wasn't pretty. In fact, it says in this text that he goes back to Lystra. Do some of you remember what happened in Lystra? Paul was stoned nearly to death. If I was, you know, stoned nearly to death in Flagstaff, I would not go back to Flagstaff. No matter how cool or how beautiful it might be, somebody threw rocks at me. I don't go back to places where people throw rocks at me, you know? And yet Paul knows, I've got to go back. Why? Because there's a church there. There there are young believers there, and he wants to be there to help them. He's not afraid. I mean, this is a resilient guy, right? Resilience, like most of us will never know. And it says that while he's there, he connects with a young guy named Timothy. And we know he's young, but you know, uh, Luke mentions he's young. He's a young disciple. He's probably a late teenager, is a a good guess. And he connects with this young guy and he realizes that this young guy, Timothy, he's a well-respected young man in the churches of Lystra and Iconium. And Paul decides, I want him to come with me. Verse four, it says this, then they went town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Day. So with Timothy in tow, Paul and Silas, they continue this journey through the cities where they started churches previously. And along the way, they teach and they encourage and they strengthen the many believers and followers of Jesus who they interact with. And I can only imagine Timothy is wide-eyed as he watches Paul and Silas do the work of God in the cities they visit. But then something interesting happens. They come to a bit of an impasse. Verse 6. It says, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. 
Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Very in tune with what's going on, Paul and Silas are. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I am often in awe of how in tune Paul is to the Spirit's leading in his life. I mean... He's like traveling, traveling, traveling. He's like, oh, no, we're not supposed to go there. And so he goes somewhere else. And oh, I'm not supposed to go there, right? Like, it's like being lost in Target almost. Like, he's just not sure where to go. And then, oh, there's the exit, right? But he's, he's so in tune with what's going on with the Spirit's leading that he's able to in- intuitively know, no, I'm not supposed to go there. Yes, I am supposed to go there. Oh, here's where I'm going to end up. And I think that sometimes I read that, I'm like, man, I wish I could have that, right? Don't you wish you could have that, right? Like you'd be like going for your car, you'd be like, ooh, better not, not today, not going outside, right? Like I'm not going to go driving, I don't know why, I'm just not going to, right? Or you go to a restaurant, like, oop, no, I'm not supposed to eat here, you know, which that's never a good thing, intuition, right? But you might, maybe you have that, but, but I kind of want that, right? Just to walk through life, like knowing every step of the way what's going to happen. And I read this and I'm like, how do I get that? And then I got to thinking, you know, Paul's intuition and Paul's connection to the Spirit is not something that happened just randomly for him. Paul has been following Jesus for more than a decade at this point, probably 15 to 20 years. He has devoted his life to the study of the Scriptures, to intimate time with his heavenly Father. He has spent hours, days, months, years listening hearing, responding, making mistakes along the way. His intuition to the Spirit's leading is connected to this deep, intimate relationship with God that has been fostered over years. And so, yes, the Spirit is leading us all of the time. I realize that. But I think that Paul decides to bring Timothy along because he sees potential in Timothy and he wants him to learn, this is how I have and you can stay connected to the Spirit and follow Jesus even more closely. You see, Paul saw something in Timothy. He saw potential. In fact, later in life, Paul would write two letters to Timothy who would then be a pastor at another church. In the second letter, Paul mentions what he saw in Timothy. He says in chapter 1, verse 5 in 2 Timothy, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I remember your genuine faith. Paul saw something in Timothy. Paul saw an authenticity in Timothy that he knew God wanted to leverage for the good of the kingdom. And so like Jesus did with the first 12 disciples, Paul chooses to disciple Timothy, to teach and to encourage and to challenge him to live like Jesus. But here's what I want us to really take notice of this morning. I want us to take note of what Paul actually does to disciple Timothy. Notice that the text doesn't say 
Because Timothy was genuine in his faith and well thought of, Paul decided to send him to Jerusalem to be schooled how to follow Jesus. It doesn't say that. Nor does the text say that since Paul saw potential in Timothy, he had a conversation with him about what it meant to follow Jesus, and then he went along his way. Instead, the text says, and I want you to note this, Acts 16, verse 3, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. This is a major commitment on Paul's part. Right? He, he didn't go to Lystra thinking, we're going to add a third guy to this party. And now he's decided, I'm going to have to take care of this man. I'm going to have to provide for him. I'm going to have to coach Timothy every step of the way. But I think he does it because Paul realizes something that he learned from Jesus, and it's this, that lasting discipleship is accomplished shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. The number one strategy for fulfilling the command to go and make disciples is to walk side by side, shoulder to shoulder with others. There is certainly room for other modes of discipleship. Don't get me wrong, we do them here. But there is, I believe, and as I scan the scriptures, none as effective as long and as long-lasting as the way in which Paul examples in Acts chapter 16. You know, notice all that Paul, or excuse me, Timothy gets to see. All that he gets to see and experience and learn while he's traveling shoulder to shoulder with Paul and Silas. He's there as Paul and Silas move from town to town, teaching and encouraging and, and challenging the churches that they started. He watches as they dealt with issues and conflict among the communities in the various cities. He's present while they share the gospel with new people and watches them choose to follow Jesus. He observes the daily practices of Paul, how he prays, how he studies the scriptures, how he rests. And he gets a front row seat to Paul's intuition of the Spirit's leading in his life. Timothy is there. As Paul's like, we're not supposed to go there. The Spirit doesn't want us to go there. He's there when he says, I had this vision. We're supposed to go to Greece. He's observing and seeing all of this in real time. Now imagine if Paul had said to Timothy and Lystra, you have so much potential. I really think that God wants to shape you into a young leader in the church. So here are a couple books to get you started. Or, or maybe check out, you know, there's this really good podcast you should listen to, right? I mean, do you think that those things would have had the same lasting impact as Timothy actually walking and talking and living with Paul from city to city? Of course not. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with reading some books. That can be a good practice or listening to podcasts. But if that is our only strategy to help people follow Jesus... It will fall vastly short, I think, of God's hopes for people. Also, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't choose 30 people to disciple. He could have. He could have said, hey, this section, come with me. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't even choose 12 like Jesus did. How many does he choose? Come on, you know the answer. How many does he choose? One. He chooses one person to disciple shoulder to shoulder with. In the corporate world, that would not be seen as a good thing. 
more is better, right? And yet for some reason in God's economy, less is more. He chooses one person, Timothy. Now certainly Paul would ultimately have an impact on thousands of people. He would lead them to Christ and teach them to walk in Jesus' footsteps. But in the midst of all of that, he only chooses one to walk shoulder to shoulder with during his time in his life. And he knows that lasting discipleship happens slowly and in small numbers. But he also knows that that slow and small number process can lead to enormous results for the kingdom of God. Timothy would go on to lead one of the largest churches in the Roman Empire in the first century. It's very possible, it's very possible that you have had or do have a Paul in your life. Someone who took time to disciple you shoulder to shoulder. You know, maybe it was a parent Maybe it was a youth leader or a children's you know, leader. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend or a pastor. Maybe it was a group or a Bible study leader. Someone along the way resolved that lasting discipleship really does happen shoulder to shoulder, and they invited you on their journey. They invited you on their travels. The real question for us, though, is not do we have a Paul, but do we have a Timothy? Do we have a Timothy? Is there someone in our lives that we have invited to walk with us in order to see the same lasting discipleship Paul saw when he invited Timothy on his travels in Acts 16? Is there someone in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're going to get to that in a second, but if you're a follower of Jesus, is there someone in your life that you have invited to walk with you shoulder to shoulder through your daily travels. For example, parents, do you realize that you've got a bunch of little Timothys in your home right now? You are walking shoulder to shoulder with your children and teens right now. Do you see that? Is that seen as something that you want to pour into intentionally? Do you see the opportunity for lasting discipleship in their lives? Are you inviting them to walk with you through your daily travels? And let me just tell you, it, it really doesn't take much to do. And if that's not your story, is there someone in your life that you either are or can be taking a vested interest in and begin to travel with towards lasting discipleship? Invite them to do what you're already doing. That's what Paul does. He, he doesn't create some course. He doesn't start some new thing. He's just like, all right, we're going over here. Why don't you come with us? Right? When you're going to your group, hey, why don't you come with me? When you decide to serve on a team or volunteer in our kids' ministry, hey, why don't you, why don't you come with me? Why don't you do it with me? When you decide to sign up for VBS, which I hope you do, to volunteer for VBS, because there's a bunch of little Timothys going to be in here, right? You can say, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's do this together. Let's walk shoulder to shoulder as we invest in the next generation. Right? If you decide to serve on a, in the cafe or in our host team or on our tech team, you can invite someone with you and say, hey, let's, let's just do this together. Let's walk together. You can invite them when you already got lunch plans. Hey, why don't you come with me? 
I'm going to grab coffee tomorrow morning. Why don't you join me? It's really quite simple when it comes down to it. You're simply inviting somebody to travel with you. You do not have to come up with a year-long study through the book of 2 Chronicles, okay? Please don't, okay? Just travel with them. Go with, walk shoulder to shoulder with them and the things that you are already doing and watch God work. Now, I realize, and I mentioned this, that some of you in here really are in need of a Paul. And there are some of you who are in here who are really in need of a Timothy. But for those of you who are really in need of a Paul, you need someone in your life to travel with. Maybe you're new to this whole faith thing. Maybe you've never even made that decision, but you're searching and you want to learn. I mean, if that's you, I just cannot encourage you enough to get more connected to Genesis. Because there are people in this room right now who will walk shoulder to shoulder with you who will walk you to understanding. You can join one of those volunteer teams. You can join a group. You can show up to one of our upcoming events. You can meet with one of our pastors. You can meet with one of our leaders. You can let us help us connect you with others so that you can begin to experiencing lasting discipleship in your life and eventually do the same for someone else. A little over a week ago, I traveled to Orange County and uh, I was there for a, a conference meeting for the denomination that we're a part of here called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And um, a lot of times when I do that, it's great because I get to see a lot of friends. I've been a part of this community of churches for decades. And so I happened to run into uh, a friend of mine um, that is maybe one of the most important people in my life. His name is Phil Print. That's Phil and me. And uh, Phil is my Paul. He traveled with me for decades. In fact, he has traveled with me in one shape or another for 13, or since I was 13 years old. In 1992, Phil became the pastor at the church my family attended in St. Paul, Minnesota. And the church at the time was on life support. I mean, we were about ready to shut the doors. Within five years, Phil helped turn the church around in a way that today it's reaching thousands every Sunday. And while most people who know Phil see Phil as this, he's now retired, retired mega church pastor. I see a guy who walked with me shoulder to shoulder to bring about lasting discipleship in my life. You know, when I was 20 years old, I told Phil, I think, I, I think I'm sensing a call to ministry. He's like, you need to be an intern. You're going to meet with me weekly. I'm going to give you opportunities I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to walk you through it. I want you to see how ministry is done here. I want you to watch as we do it together. And so he did. He met with me weekly, and he even showed me how to preach my very first sermon, <laughs> which is really funny because he trusted me, but not a whole lot. <laughs> because he, he said, I want you to preach this sermon that I wrote for you, okay? Thank God he did. I can't imagine what I would have said had he not done that. But he gave me an incredible opportunity. I had no business being up there preaching my very first sermon, but he saw something in me. And instead of handing me a couple books or saying, listen to a couple podcasts, he invited me to walk with him shoulder to shoulder. You know, eventually I would go back to work with Phil. 
I worked with him as a worship leader and then eventually as his second in command, so to speak, as his executive pastor. And along the way, Phil spent gobs of time teaching and exampling to me the art of being a pastor, being a father, being a friend. And even after I left Minnesota and went on to other things, I knew that Phil was always just a phone call away from me. He still is. He was someone that I could reach out to at a moment's notice. And so when I ran into him in Orange County, we spent all this time catching up. And then as I left the conversation, I couldn't believe it because at the end of the conversation, he spent a good amount of time coaching me on leadership and preaching. I didn't even realize it was happening. But I think that what Phil taught me more than anything else is the importance of walking with the Timothys in our lives. He exampled to me shoulder-to-shoulder discipleship. And he did it, I think, in the same way that Jesus exampled. You know, one of the great accomplishments of Jesus was his ability to walk shoulder-to-shoulder with people. And he did it to start with only a few young men And those few young men would go on to change the world. And you know, even within the 12, Jesus poured into one more than anybody else, Peter. He said to Peter, upon you I will build my church. You're the rock that I'm going to build the church, this movement where people walk shoulder to shoulder with each other towards lasting discipleship in their lives. And Peter would go on to be the leading voice in the church after Jesus' resurrection. And so I want to ask you, is there a Timothy in your life? Is there someone you're walking shoulder to shoulder with? And like Paul did, how can you invite them? And like Jesus did, invite them to walk in your travels in the coming weeks. One of the last scenes that we have with Jesus and those first disciples. They're sharing a Passover meal. Again, Jesus is just inviting them to do what he's already doing. Let's have a meal together. Let's just hang out and eat. And it's during that meal that he reveals what is about to happen in its very near future. And he says to those first disciples, Peter there himself, he says, listen, there is coming a moment very soon where my life will be ended. And to do that, he took a, a loaf of bread and he gave thanks for it. He said, he said, friends, disciples, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And so when you get together now, when you walk shoulder to shoulder together and eat a meal, I want you to grab this bread and I want you to eat it. And I want you to remember my broken body for you. And in the same meal, he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks. And he said, this is the blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And that through the shedding, of, forgive, or the shedding of, uh, of my blood, forgiveness will come and a new relationship with God will be established. And so when you get together, shoulder to shoulder around a table, I want you to drink this and remember me. That you're forgiven. That you've been made whole. That you have a commission and a new purpose in your life to lead people to follow me in the same way that I have led you. And so this morning, Genesis, we're going to walk shoulder to shoulder, side by side to the table to remember the one who called us first, to remember Jesus. And as you take the bread and as you drink the juice, I would ask very deeply, 
Jesus, who is the Timothy in my life? Who is the person that you want me to invest in that they might know that salvation and a new life exists in you? Who is that person? How can I invite them to travel with me in the coming days? There are three stations around the room. There's two in the front. There's one in the back. Actually, has a gluten-free option if you need that. I invite you to come and to take the bread, to taste the juice, to remember Jesus, to hear the voice of the Spirit this morning calling you to what your next step is. There's also a basket on those tables that you can contribute to our benevolence fund. Um, No obligation, but if you want to give toward that, all that money goes towards helping those in our community, outside of our community, with very basic needs, food, shelter, utilities, etc. So I invite you to come to remember that your life is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and that because of his words in Matthew 28, you are now being commissioned, you are being called to a new purpose to invite the Timothy in your world to experience the same. Let me pray and then we're going to come to the table and remember Jesus. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy. What an incredible relationship it would become. Lord, we thank you for the Paul in our lives. That somebody who took the time to invite us to travel with them, to learn from them, to grow with them, to experience with them. I pray, God, if if there is someone in this room who realizes, man, I, I don't know the first thing about following Jesus, God, I pray that you would put a person from this place in their path to walk with them. And God, I just pray that you would inspire us, encourage us, move us to see that the primary call in our lives is to go and to make disciples, to invest in other people, to pray for other people, to invite people to come with us. Hey, come to church with me. Come and experience what I have experienced. Come and join what I have joined. Thank you for the offering that you give us through communion. May we remember your sacrifice and the new relationship we have with God through you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.